sitting here with Roger Naper of the legendary Rhythm and Blues Cruise. Um, good afternoon, Marco. Good afternoon. We're in Memphis, and Roger's kind enough to talk to me about the wonderful cruise and all the other adventures he's uh, involved in. Roger, before we start about the cruise, can you tell me what your background is musically? Well, I started promoting Marco in 1979, so I'm, I'm in my 38th year. I've done it for 37 years. Um, started out as an independent promoter. I guess I'm still an independent promoter because I don't work for anyone else. <laughs> but um, uh, blues was my passion and love, and that's what I began doing as a actually a um, United States postal worker at the time. Oh, okay. And um, and so I promoted a few shows in 1979, and they all went well except for my very last one. It was too close to the Christmas holiday season, and um, and then I continued on, and for several years I just used other person's venues, you know, basically renting out the venues or making it cutting a deal for no rent, but bringing a crowd, that type of thing. And can I ask you, what was the motivation? Is it because you believed in these artists, or you yeah, just wanted to the motivation was in the in the 1970s. Uh, probably some of your audience is too young to remember the 1970s, but um, the Hollywood industry, the movie industry, really sets a big tone for pop culture. And they did a Saturday Night Fever thing, which was a uh, DJs, right? Um, and then. They followed that up with the Urban Cowboy, which was more DJs. And so it put a lot of bands out of work uh, in the 1970s. Right. And I was a huge blues fan, and and uh, I'd lived in, I'm from Kansas City initially, and I'd lived in Los Angeles, and then I'd lived in Minneapolis. And uh, upon moving back to Kansas City, I was seeking out as much blues as I could find. and. Um, and in the United States, there's always been a racial divide of the black community blues and then the white community blues. Um, and I wasn't familiar with, in the mid-1970s, of the, of the black community blues circuit very well. Uh, but I heard of a Thanksgiving breakfast dance that was going on in Kansas City. And um, it featured Little Milton, Campbell, and Freddie King. I was a huge Freddie King fan at the time. And this this event started at 10 o'clock in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. They called it the breakfast dance. And people people brought their own beverages. And, and if they wanted to bring some food, they could bring that along as well. So, and I had a great time um, seeing my hero, Freddie King, uh, there and then I started listening to more urban radio, and our uh, urban station in Kansas City, the AM, had gospel from sunrise till noon, and then blues from noon till sundown. And so I, I started listening to that on a regular basis in my car, and and uh, discovered more and more of the urban blues community while still uh, seeking out what I could find in the white community. And, and um, so once, once I started navigating between both communities, and then, and then when I started promoting, it was really for the 
passion and the love of the music. Um, so I kept my day job and, and promoted music on the side. And then 19, and I co-founded the Kansas City Blues Society in 1980. We did our first festival in 1981. I came to the um, Blues Foundation's very first W.C. Handy Awards in 1980. So I've been very active. Mm -hmm. I, was a, I was a contributor to Living Blues Magazine for the Kansas City scene, so to speak, um, as early as the late 1970s. So, And then you started the Grand Emporium. Grand Emporium came along. I, I left the post office in 1984 to manage a rock club and then book blues acts on their off nights, like Tuesdays or Wednesdays. And I worked there for a year to learn the kind of the club business, so to speak. Was that a difficult decision? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> to put it simply, uh, <laughs> I, I the benefits to me at the time, um, at the age of 32, um, didn't mean that much to me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't married. And what, uh, I wasn't looking for a retirement package. So... <laughs> So I, uh, I moved on, and then uh, I bought the Grand Emporium in 1985, um, and that was a live music venue for six nights a week at the, at the beginning. Um, the very first full calendar I had uh, in the summer of 1985, uh, we had John Lee Hooker, Robert Cray, Roy Buchanan, R.L. Burnside all played the very first full calendar month of my club, which only held 200 people. Wow. So was Kansas City very supportive of the blues at that point? Yes. We, uh, well, with, with the Kansas City Blues Society, I built a base starting in 1980. I knew I, I, knew I couldn't keep promoting without a base. And uh, I'd heard of a, blues, a couple of blues societies in California. And I think we were the, I think there were three blues societies actually at the time that we started ours in Kansas City. And really? Santa Barbara, and there was one in Northern California, and maybe there was only two. Okay. But um, we just kind of started grassroots uh, without much knowledge of nonprofit things and just kept moving forward out of our sheer determination to make it work. And then what made you decide to start the cruise? And at what point did that begin? Well, the, I was a, a co-founder of the Kansas City Blues Festival and co-founder of the Kansas City Blues and Jazz Festival. And I'd obviously traveled to New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival for quite a few years. I'd gone to the Chicago, the Chicago Fest prior to the Chicago Blues Festival, uh, San Francisco Blues Festival, Long Beach Blues Festival. I'd, I would go to festivals and, and um, and while I'm there enjoying the music and, or whatever, I would kind of see how things were, were ran mm -hmm. without, without too much um, paying attention to the business side, but, but trying to absorb a little more. And then I heard of a blues cruise that was a themed blues cruise in 1991. Um, so I signed up and went. And out of the 1,700 folks on the cruise, there was only about 60 to 70 blues fans. Very small turnout for the music. Right. Um, Buddy Guy was on that ship. Albert Collins, Johnny Adams, Johnny Otis. Um, Persuasions, not a blues act, but an acapella group. 
Um, and I went to the producer of the event. They were using the the old ship. The ship was built in 1944, the Norway, and they were using the house PA systems and the small venues and, and things for the bands and a terrible sound. And, and I went and I said, you know, I organize festivals in Kansas City and the bands are no better than their sound. And if you can't hear the band, you know, you've got really great international artists up here, but we can't hear them very well out front. You're really doing a disservice. And he, he didn't want any advice from me. Hmm. And at the time, I was taking 100 people from Kansas City to New Orleans for their jazz fest, just for a free trip for myself. I wasn't making any money. I wasn't a travel agent, but I was taking people for the culture. And I went back home and I thought to my partner, um, I said, well, I think I'd like to take 100 people on that blues cruise next year. It's totally different. There's a, there's a feeling of freedom when you leave port that you can't get in an urban, blues festival setting. At an urban blues festival, you're still thinking of crime. You're still thinking of um, having too much fun and then worrying about police as you go home. You, you've got the, the, the issues of, of our society to deal with. On a cruise ship, when all you can see is water, you leave all that behind you. So you saw that potential from the first time you went on that yeah. a cruise. And um, so I put down a deposit for 50 cabins for the f next year. And, and it wasn't much. It was $25 a cabin or something. They, they made it very easy. And about a month later, my partner came back to me. He says, well, why would we send somebody on somebody else's event when, they're, when they don't do it right? Let's just do one ourselves. Wow. So that was the beginning. So we did our first cruise in 1992. It was in December of 92. And 13 months later, we did our first charter. So... We were the first company ever to really do a music charter on a cruise ship. Although it can't, I mean, it sounds simple, but I'm sure it's not simple. And there are major risks involved in the risks. Are, and the risks are even stronger now and, and worse, harder now than they were in 1994. So because of security concerns or because of liability or liability, uh, other charters that have defaulted. Um, because I, I, you know, I picture and I look at you as such a successful person, but I can imagine that the the risk involved in every single cruise that you put on and and all the possibilities of things going wrong is unimaginable. And that I know you have it down to fine art. You've done many of these, and they all sell out. But it must be still a lot of work to make sure everything runs smoothly. Our next cruise with this company is. Uh, going out in October out of San Juan, Puerto Rico is number 27 with this company. Right. And, and the former company that we had from the Grand Emporium in the 1990s, we did seven cruises. Um, and so I've done quite a few, and I'm a partner of the Jam Cruise, which also sails in January. It's a five-day music cruise on a different cruise line, different operation. Uh, there's I've done... I, think 11 of those so um, I've, I've, I've been in the cruise music business now for quite a long time and and the risks are very very dangerous to try to start fresh mm -hmm. um, but uh, fortunately we've 
we've been able to avoid any kind of major disaster with this company. And, and was there ever a question that it would continue? Like, was it a smooth sailing from the very beginning? Well, I had liability from the first one because my partner uh, who ran the business, I always hired the bands, but he ran the cruise operation. Um, he got in financial trouble and committed suicide, and so there was there were some issues with people who paid for a cruise that didn't happen. Right. Um, and so I, I had to step back and rethink it and reorganize with a different company. And, and so then we sailed, we started up in, in 2001. It was a small vessel. We, sailed, we sold it out prior to the 9-11 disaster in New York. Um, we had some cancellations off of that, but then we were able to refill. And uh, then we moved to another cruise line from there to a larger sh vessel the following year, and we sold that out. Um, and then we moved to Holland America Line, which we've been now with since 2004, which is a very stable company. Um, tremendous service and, and uh, ships. So um, it's, it, we've sold out every January since 2002. And yet it changes over time. It How does. has it changed from the beginning to where it is right well, now? Well, the, the first cruise in, in the 90s, we only had nine bands. We had smaller ships. Um, we were kind of running, running off of desire to have an event without really having it organized very well. And then as, as time went on, we started organizing it better. And then by 2002, organization our plans were were much better than they had been a decade earlier now there's um, 25 bands uh, five or six piano players uh, we went from having 34 shows to about 94 shows in, wow. in a week's time there's a larger vessel more more stages more venues that type of thing and since we take over the entire ship we use every venue that makes any sense for us. And so we'll run four and five shows simultaneously on the ship. Now, I haven't been on for a while, but the way I remembered it is, like you said, depending on the time of day, and sometimes it started off late morning where you could watch somebody acoustic stage upstairs or whatever. But basically, most of the day, there was somewhere you could watch music. And at certain times, there could be four different venues or stages going on at the same time. And at the same time, you didn't have to see, I mean, you could watch one band, they would play three or four or five times a week, so you had the option of seeing them um, during the, the seven days that you were on the cruise, you could see them four times or you could see them once. You also didn't have to be immersed in music all the time. I presume some people were, but some people weren't. It's a very diverse crowd, and I think some people just want the all-nighters and did the jams while other people did their nine to five or whatever, nine to ten. You know, it just seemed to have a regular day. How How is that? Is that still the same way it's been, it is right now? It is, Mako. It's, um, we'll start our workshops at about 11 in the morning on days at sea. Right. When we're in ports, we don't, if we get in a port, like say in the morning at eight or nine o'clock, whatever the time may be, um, typically we're sleeping. Uh, the cruise line does sell excursions to the ports and so if people really want to explore the island or go snorkeling or deep sea diving or whatever the case may be they they can do that and uh, we don't 
on days at sea, like I said, we start things about 11 in the morning with artist workshops. Like people can get an up close personal encounter with the artists and, and how they became really good at their craft, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And then we also have industry workshops. Um, so there's people who are like on the board of the Blues Foundation or the, do the Hall of Fame things and, um, and they talk about different uh, legends of the from years gone by or whatever you know so there's there's history uh and there's current uh evolution of the blues artists available for people to to hear and see and the songwriters and that type of thing and then we'll start the pool deck right at noon or so 12 15 right after brunch and we'll run three bands out there before dinner we try to shut all the stages down for a dinner s mm -hmm. section of time, like about a two hour section. Right. Um, and there's a variety of restaurants on the ships and so people don't always have to sit in the same dining room. The artists are there for the entire time. And so often the case, people are eating at a table right next to some of the stars and the musicians on the ship. Um, but we'll run, like you said, four stages and the bands do play three or four times through the week, so people can see them more than once. They could, and and we book a variety of styles of blues, blues mm -hmm. derivative bands. Um, so there's something there for everybody, and and we typically have a swimming pool open for those people that want to get in the water and get some exercise, and and uh, when the, while the ships at sea, and then when we're in port. Um, we lay low on the ship until about two hours before we sail. So when people come back to the ship after spending the day in port, the pool deck is starting before we, we depart. So when they get back to the ship, they're right back in the event again. And, and as if I recall, in one of the cruises I attended, there was actually a music or blues festival in the port that we, we landed in. We, yeah, I, I uh, try to organize some type of land event on each cruise, whether it's a festival and, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, or whether it's a beach club. Uh, this October, we're going in Barbados. Uh, there's a club down there that actually works with one of the Toronto radio stations and um, Harbor Lights. And there's a radio station that charters. Yeah, Chum FM, I believe. Uh, so you've heard of the, yeah you've heard of that up there, and it's a great sand, great water. Uh, right there, the people that have been running the venue, a couple of brothers, they really know what they're doing and, and they work with us, so we'll be there. Uh, we're going to some deep ports um, in the southeastern Caribbean, so we're probably not going to do anything else on land other than in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in the hotel the night before. We'll probably do two or three bands as a, basically a sail away night uh, before we leave, so, so we try to get people in the mood the night before we sail. And so when they get to the ship the next day and have to go through the terminal, sometimes the terminals in Florida are very quick. The one in San Juan is not quite as quick, but it's gotten better. And But people have already experienced a little bit of the, the F Blues Cruise family from the night before. So talk about that cruise family, because you know, one would expect that these are all really rich blues Fans, but that's not necessarily the case, and I should not to judge financial. But some people, this is their holiday every year, right? And it is. It is their holiday every year, and some people 
try to go every other year. Some people go every four or five years, depending on their interest in the music or their or their uh, financial well-being. It it is a broad-based family here at the Blues Music Awards in Memphis. I would bet there's 400 cruisers here. Mm-hmm. Out of how many people are attending tonight, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a thousand or 1,200, but I, but I think about a third of the people here are re, are fairly frequent blues mm-hmm. cruisers. They go to land festivals. They uh, wherever these bands go that, that have been on the cruises, they find people coming out to their shows. Everywhere they go, they, there's a cruiser. You know. All the festivals, or the or the theaters, or venues, or nightclubs, the cruisers come up and say hello. So it's, and when they spend a week together on a ship, the passengers, they get talking to other passengers. They find out similar interests. There's, there's a bonding that happens, and there's a bonding that happens with the musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, the musicians really love the event because they're not traveling in their vehicle night after night after night. They can come in, unpack once, um, whether they perform the first night or the second night or the second day. Um, they get to relax and chill and hang out and see their friends. And then there's a pro jam every night on the pool deck around midnight. Uh, so these artists get to play with one another, which they seldom get to do anymore. You know, mm-hmm. they, the blues musicians are blues fans first and foremost. It's a, turned into a way of life for them. So they really like seeing each other play, and they like jamming together, and so that's been the magic of the cruise as well, is, is the, the interaction of the musicians playing with one another. How much of that do you get to enjoy? Because I presume when you're running this thing, it's not like you can be attending all the shows. I, I typically don't watch a whole show. Right. I'll, I do go from theater to the pool deck to the Crow's Nest or the Queen's Lounge or whatever the venues may be, and, and I, I try to catch as many acts as I can to see that everything's running as smooth as it should be. Um, so I'll log, I'll probably log myself um, a couple of miles a day on the ship, mm-hmm. moving from stage to stage. And then sometimes I watch 10 minutes, sometimes I watch 20, sometimes I watch five, you know, kind of depending on what else is going on around the, the vessel at the same time. So. Now, I presume finding acts to participate in the cruise is not a difficult thing because uh, find, it's so well known. And t- Telling them sorry I'm full is harder than, <laughs> than, uh, than going out and selecting bands, truthfully. Are there any bands out there you've always wanted to get but just haven't because of scheduling or whatever reason? Well, there's, there's some of the headlining acts that really don't want to, in their mind, be stuck on a ship for a week and so they're not the type of act that we really want on there anyway but there are some acts that have have thought that in the years past and then once they finally came to the cruise it's like what have i been waiting for mm-hmm. this is way different than i thought i don't have the people trying to crash my backstage area well we have autograph parties so all the the band leaders and some of the some of the bands will all show up at the autograph session so Everyone has an opportunity to meet mm-hmm. all the band leaders on the ship if they so desire. Right. And so that keeps the musicians from being 
approached as they walk around the ship. You know, the, the people know they'll have their time. And so there's, there's a lot of respect for that. Where, you know, at a festival you might see a fence. Um, you, you see a gated area. You can't get back there. Human nature for a lot of people, not all, but for a lot of people is they want what they can't get. Right. So, so they try to find a way. You know, some of the hardcore groupie type fans, whether they're male or female, they try to worm their way back there. Mm-hmm. On the ship, it's not like that. They don't have to. Now, it's also interesting how the mu- a lot of musicians are just out there in the open. Like, they're just very accessible. Mm-hmm. And so if you're out by the pool and there's Taj Mahal sitting right next to you or whatever, like, I right. just find that pretty amazing because I can see how some people might be hesitant to be out there all the time, but that doesn't seem to be the case on, on the cruise. It isn't. I mean, there are a, couple, a few musicians that felt they didn't want to talk to anybody, you know, whether they've got some kind of medical condition going on or something, I don't know. The the thing about the most blues musicians is they they love the blues music themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's probably that way in jazz, and it's probably that way in country, and it's probably that way in punk rock, and it's, uh, all styles of music, whatever they're playing, when they're around a couple of thousand people that like the same things that they do, typically they will then start venturing out and, and discovering who's out there type of thing. So um, it's its own little subculture, and that's what the family is. Right, and the, the family keeps growing, and I know that it's be, like you said, it's more than just a cruise. You've also done some land events, and you have reunion parties. You also have the Blues Review Tour. Is right. there any other plans for expanding? And also the work that you do for the Blues Foundation and promoting that and being at different festivals and getting more people to sign up to the Blues Foundation. Well, we do a reunion in Kansas City. It's my base uh, every May or June. This year it's June 23rd through the 25th. And uh, we'll have cruisers come from sometimes England. Uh, quite a few Canadians come down. Yeah, can you speak to that as, as to the, the the international participation of the cruise? Well, I think the internet has helped immensely with that uh, through the years. It's it's really hard to promote internationally when you when you're a small company, um, but the fan base reaches out through the through the artists or, or you know we've been around for so many years now that most. Most blues people have heard about the blues cruise. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. the, it's the dream destination, really. Uh, well, uh, well, it is for people that know anyone who's been on the cruise. Mm-hmm. It, it turns into that, and because a lot of cruisers can't stop talking about their their experience on the cruise. As far as expansion, um, it's such a high risk situation, and I had a nightclub for twenty years, where I was basically on call for six days a week or whatever um, I don't really need to be in that position any longer so I don't really need to try to push and push and push myself uh, like I did when I was younger right um, so two cruises a year is very satisfying to me and and I do go to festivals during the course of the summer with the land yacht RV um, that we have wrapped um, that is really a moving billboard and when we're at a blues festival, people that haven't been on the cruise, but maybe have seen some of our ads in the magazines or, or maybe have heard about it from a friend, they'll see us and then they'll 
if they're interested in finding out more, they'll come to our table. Cruisers always come to our table. And if bands are on stage and they see us, often the case they'll come to our table when they get done playing, mm -hmm. and they'll they'll sit there so that people at the festival can can come and hang out with whoever does come out. And then um, so the land yacht festival tour, we call it the backbone of the blues because the nightclubs and the festivals that are out there year round, they're the really, that's the circuit. The cruise isn't part of the blues circuit. It's, right. it's, it's a destination. So, uh, but I'm a very strong believer in the circuit. You know, the, and the circuit's gotten harder as, as the uh, liquor laws have gotten tougher. If people have aged um, uh, for one reason or another, you know, we're not in our 20s and 30s anymore, uh, the, the, the lion's share of the blues audience. There's some musicians who are, and there's some good young ones coming up right now. And uh, However, the, the younger people don't want to be at a festival uh, around people their parents' age. Uh, they, they want to be around people their own age. And right. so that's the challenge that the blues has. When, when I was young, the older people that were at the blues events were all people of color because it was their culture. So it was kind of cool for us young white kids to be around older black people to learn their culture. But d did we want to be around a bunch of old white people? No. Probably not. And so, so that, that's really kind of the, the evolution of this. Uh, now, how does that affect, because I mean, you know, it's tough out there. It's tough because venues are closing, because people aren't going to see as many shows. Even festivals are having f trouble finding funding in a lot of cases. Do you, I know that you have, of all the things in blues, I think you have the most successful model, but I presume that there are challenges. Is there, are there concerns out there like that? Or, you know, I know that you sell out pretty quickly and you sell out pretty far in advance so that I don't know, you're already promoting cruises two or three years from now, but are there challenges that you're concerned about? Well, there are, I mean, our January cruise is our flagship and so it sells out, it's peak winter time, uh, so. Um, and how many people, what's the sellout? Um, it's been 2,000 for several years. It's going, to, it's going up to around 2,400 uh, this next January because we have a little bit larger ship. It's the brand new vessel in Holland America's fleet. Now, in the past, we talked about that, and you, were, you had some concerns about a larger vessel. Is that an issue at all, or do you have enough on the waiting list that that's a non-issue? Well, there are the people that, oh, I'd rather be on a ship that holds a 1,000 because then you see your friends daily, you know, right. the family thing. And then um, as we've grown in size because we've been forced to grow by the cruise lines, mm -hmm. uh, you get the newer ships, you get the better ships, you get the better team. The staff that works on the newer vessels for the cruise lines is their A team. They're smaller and older vessels. That's the B or the C team. And it's noticeably... It's noticeable to us uh, the quality, and so the cream of the crop goes to the new vessel. That's that's what the cruise line is trying to present their best brand, their best uh, vessel forward, because they've got another one in the in the works to come out as an identical type ship, and they they have to compete with other cruise lines, mm -hmm. and, and so. There's that. Now, as far as the people that come from around the globe, I think you asked me that a few minutes ago. Um, when we sail from San Juan, Puerto Rico, 
in 2012, we went a week before the national election, and um, it was a, a huge relief to leave the United States and get away from the the media barrage of of the hatred of the two political parties, <laughs> or or the, what the case may be, the conservatives versus the middle of the roads, mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Um, I came off that ship and I thought, uh, you know, I got back to the hotel and, and, and then the election was coming up the following Tuesday and, and so for the, for the next couple of days, here it came. And I thought, man, that was so such a relief to get away from that. So that's what we're doing this year. Mm -hmm. We had people from 29 countries represented on the ship in 2012. Wow. We've, we've been getting people from over 20 countries now for several years on our January cruise. Um, I mean, some, somebody comes from India, somebody comes, I mean, we've had people come from Africa. We've, you know, we, obviously we get Canadians. And right. I've been booking some Canadian acts to, to help make a, a bridge where, say, Colin James comes, you know, which is one of the biggest blues acts in mm -hmm. Canada. And, and uh, you know, or, or some of the other acts that have come out of there that are really quality acts. And, and so we've built a family of Canadians right. that come on a yearly basis if they can. January, they said, we may not be able to afford it next year. Our, our dollar is in the tank. Right. Um, we're at 75 cents to the American dollar now. And it's gotten, you know, I guess the oil industry dictates the currency flow of Canada. Yeah, it's, it's an issue. It is an issue. It's a real issue. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got a large contingency of Norwegians. Well, the Norwegian krone is, uh, the, the cost of living in Norway is like three times what it is in the United States. So yeah. it's not an expensive venture for them. Airfare is their expensive part. You know, So Northern Europe has a higher cost of living than the United States does. And so we, we get people from England and Germany and was there ever any thoughts of doing a European cruise? Was it there were risky? thoughts. Uh, there, there are still thoughts, but airfare has gotten crazy expensive. Right. You know, when the oil crisis, whatever that means, came along and the industry was able to triple the prices of oil barrels, right. um, fuel became a, fuel's the number one expense for a cruise line, and so you know if the if the airfare is going to be like the cost of a cruise for a flight back and forth across the pond, then you're talking about a double expense mm -hmm. for Americans. We do think we could fill half a ship over there with a European blues base of fans, and, but we don't really know that we want to put that burden on our right. American fans too. You know, is it going to sabotage the next January cruise? Possibly. You know, so there, you know, there's there's things to weigh out. So how far in advance are you, have you planned? Like where are you at right now? We're in May of 2016. May of 2016, we're we're getting pressured by the cruise line to uh, get a October 2017 and a January 2018 vessel. So we only have two on the books right now. Oh, okay. We'll probably have th we'll have three, and maybe even four before we sail this October. But this is, I mean, for those who haven't experienced this, if you're a blues fan, this is the ultimate experience because you get to see all the great music and you have 
you do a wonderful job of just hiring top class. Well, you know that um, we don't have weather conditions very often on the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we are in the tropics. Um, we, we'll do, get some rain showers. We've had the West Coast, the Pacific has gotten more active with hurricane season mm-hmm. over the last decade as um, as El Nino and El Nino uh, continue to warm up the oceans. The hurricanes have, have really started more frequently out there. And so for four years in a row, we had to run from hurricanes, yeah, basically, yes. on the West Coast. The Caribbean has, seems like it's died down some for now. For now, you know, we don't know what it's going to be like this year. But um, so we just have to kind of take that chance uh, with our October sailing. January is not hurricane season. I'm not saying we couldn't experience one the way the global warming is going, but but um, so far uh, there, there's rain showers and that type of thing, but people get on the ship, they get to their cabin, they un- unpack, they leave their they leave all their belongings there in their cabin for the seven days. Um, the restaurants are nearby. The music's nearby. It's it's really easy to to go back to your cabin if you really need to chill out. Instead of like say New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, they had four inches of rain this past weekend. They got they had to cut shows short. People were like in the water up to their knees. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like down there dealing with some of that mm-hmm. um, we don't have that on a cruise ship we don't have we do have some weather conditions of high winds more more than anything else is worse we're sailing at uh, 18 knots and if the winds coming across um, across the bow in, in the wrong direction at about 18 knots you know that's a 36 knot wind which is about 45 miles an hour so so that affects the a little bit of the pool deck shows, but it doesn't affect the inside, you know, the four venues or three venues inside that we've got going on. So And none of the bands have fallen off the side. No, uh, um, little Ed, he gets <laughs> up there uh, in, a, in a high area. He gets a little bit nervous about it, but... Um, <laughs> he, put, in some, put on some weights for him. Well, little Ed's all right. I mean, he's been on about eight cruises. He loves them. But the only thing he doesn't like is being up in a high, yeah, high yeah. place. He's got that phobia. But no, we've never had uh, we've we've never had an issue with. Other than the cruise, are there any other projects you're working on that we should know about? Well, um, I keep delaying my book, but that's a personal thing. As far as the company goes, since we've branded a cruise, there's other companies doing land events. I don't know that. We need to try to do a land event. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already done those in Kansas City. Right. Um, I'm not trying to get in the business of making more records. I mean, we'd, we've done some recording with Tommy Castro and the Legendary Rhythm Blues Review. Mm-hmm. And there are some bands that want to do a live recording on the ship. Uh, Joe Lewis Walker did one when he he had all these friends on the ship, and so Elvin Bishop has done one. Uh, Mitch Woods has done one. So it's a great spot for the musicians to network with their friends and, and try to make a record on on mm-hmm. location for sure and that's about it you know um what's well, an amazing thing that you do i mean I, I just i had the privilege of going on it twice and then both times it was unbelievable and it's 
I just had a friend who went there for the first time last year, and they were just blown away by it. That doesn't surprise me. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about what you're up to. Sure. This this January, the vessel's a little larger. Um, we're going to have three main stages instead of two. In the past, we've always had two main stages. Um, so we're going to have to bump up our production a little bit more, and and uh, we'll see how it goes. Can you just give us your URL just so people can look it up? Oh, yeah. The website's very easy. It's, it's spelled appropriately. It's bluescruise.com. So if, you wanna, if you're interested in checking out anything, please go to that site. Yeah, and then our, our phone number is toll-free in Canada. It's 1-888-BLUESIN'. Thank you very much for doing this. You bet, Marco. Thanks for having me.